Now, if you're new here, you don't know that all throughout Advent, we've been looking at the titles of Christ from Isaiah, the specific prophecy from Isaiah 9, where the prophet said that when Jesus comes, this is what he will be like. He will be a wonderful counselor to you. He'll be a prince of peace. He'll be an everlasting father to you. He will be the kind of person that we have longed for, the kind of person that we had imagined should come. And then he came. And so today we celebrate his coming and we're looking at another name, another title of Christ. You heard Mariel read for us from Matthew and Matthew 1.23, which quotes Isaiah 7. So bringing back another prophecy from the same prophet. And the verse reads, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate this morning and whose return we anticipate, is our Emmanuel, that in him God is with us. That somehow in the person of Jesus, God and humanity come together. And so I'm going to ask the question, in what ways? In what ways is God with us in Jesus? In what ways is there unity and connection and interplay between God and humanity? What does it actually mean? It's one thing to sing about our God and humanity coming together in Jesus and call Jesus Emmanuel. But what does it actually mean? And what does it mean to us this morning? How does God share with us? And what does God share with us through Jesus? So I'd like to focus briefly on four aspects of this amazing event of the incarnation, God becoming human in Jesus. One, God is with us in our nature. Two, God is with us in our struggle. Three, God is with us in His grace. And four, God is with us in His glory. So He takes two aspects of us, and then He gives us two aspects of Himself to us. He's with us in our nature, in our struggle, in His grace, and in His glory. So let's begin with the incredible, okay? God becoming human. I know we sing the songs, and I know we read these passages, but come on. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? God becoming human? God, in all that He is, deciding to become us in all that we are? Making that decision? Decreeing that one day Jesus would come and God would become human? In the person of Jesus, God unites His divine nature with our human nature, becoming forever connected to us. The old creeds talk about Jesus as being true God of true God, very God of very God. There's nothing in Jesus that is lacking. He's God completely. And yet, He is human completely. There's nothing in Him that is lacking in His humanity. Completely God, completely human. Now, I remember... It's going back a bit. In 2004, we lived in Michigan, and in the neighboring state of Indiana, uh, a person was running for governor. Mitch Daniels was his name. And I still remember the slogan. And the slogan was, the, the slogan of the campaign was, My Man Mitch. My Man Mitch. This is a clever way 
to, to, and I think that comes from the president calling him that. I think he was in the George W. Bush administration, and the president called him, my man Mitch. But it became a slogan, and when I read that, I'm like, okay, what are they saying? What's the message here? Well, the message here that he's, he's like us. He's our guy, right? He's close to us. He understands us. There was this idea that this politician, maybe unlike others, maybe, has a special connection with his voters. We can trust him, right? All those things are, are evoked when you, when you just see the, the sign on someone's lawn, at least for me. Jesus is our man Jesus. He's ours. And when we talk about Jesus, the divine and human Jesus, we have to accept that he understands us, that he is like us in every way except for sin, that he actually came to be with us, that he really became one of us. He couldn't come any closer to us. When you read the gospel accounts, and, and I've done that this week, just, just to point out how tangible his presence was with us. He, he, he was never distant. He was never aloof. He was never pretending to be human. He was actually human with us. Mary birthed him with all the things that accompany human birth. Mary birthed him. Can't get any more tangible than that, can it? Simeon held him. This old man waiting for the Messiah. He got to hold the baby. You know, every Sunday at church, there's a line around every baby to be held, right? <laughs> Simeon got to hold the baby Jesus, touch him. The wise men found him. They were searching for him, and they found him. Herod the king tried to murder him. Joseph, his father, carried him to safety. John later baptized him, put him under the water. Zacchaeus saw him. He had to climb on the tree to see him, but he was looking for him, and he saw him. Simon the Pharisee invited him into his home and ate with him, shared food with him. Doesn't get any more vulnerable than sharing food with someone. The woman anointed him, cried over him, wiped his feet with her hair and kissed him. That's how tangible Jesus' incarnation is. The lepers touched him. First time after many, many years, they touched another human being who was healthy, and Jesus healed them. The Samaritan woman at the well talked with him. Not many people talked with her, but Jesus talked with her, and she talked with him. Thousands were fed and healed by Jesus. The crowds left him, abandoned him, went to look for another one. Judas kissed him, betrayed him with a kiss. Peter denied him three times. The guards tortured him and mocked him and beat him until finally Pilate sentenced him, and the soldiers crucified him, putting nails through his flesh, fixing him to the wood of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea buried him, put his body in a tomb. Mary Magdalene 
clung to the risen Jesus, couldn't let go of him. And the disciples proclaimed him, and many gave their lives for him. It is essential to affirm the full humanity of Jesus. One church father said that the unassumed is the unhealed. The unassumed is the unhealed. If Jesus did not assume fully our nature, he can't heal fully our nature. He has to be completely human for us to be saved, to be rescued. Jesus has done that. He is God with us, Emmanuel, God with us in our nature. Can't come any closer than that to us. Became like us in every way, one of us like me, human. That's first. Secondly, he's our Emmanuel because he is God with us in our struggle. He is God with us in our struggle. Uh, A few days ago, uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky came to a surprise visit uh, to speak with President Biden and address the Congress and the Senate. It was very exciting to watch that. But there was another visit just a day or two before the visit to the States that I think maybe was even more important, maybe. President Zelensky went to visit the troops in a particular place in Bakhmut is a, is a particular place where the fighting right now is the fiercest, where the casualties are the highest. That is where he went. He went to be with his people, with his soldiers, to encourage them, to support them, to be with them, to show how much the country appreciates them. He did that to be in their struggle and to show that they are not alone. They're not just fighting out there and the country lives the way they want to live. No, everybody's with them. And not least of all their president. Now, of course, you can contrast that with another ruler on the other side of the front lines who never comes anywhere close to danger. What did Jesus do? Well, President Zelensky risked his life for his people. There was actual risk involved, and they had to keep it secret until he actually went and left. That's when we heard about it on the news. He was being careful. But Jesus not only risked his life, but he gave his life. In the incarnation, God changed, and I say that very carefully, but God became breakable, God became hurtable, God became killable, all the while knowing that death was not a hypothetical possibility, but it was a historical certainty. The creator of our life came knowing that he will die, knowing that he would not just risk his life, but give his life. Jesus knew that. God knew that. And so he became a God with wounds, a God who is with us in our struggle. There's a great passage in John 20 where Thomas the apostle, one of the apostles who missed the first resurrection appearance, right? It happens, right? Sometimes you just miss the most important things. I don't know where he was. I don't know what he was doing. But he, but he was upset about that. And he didn't want to believe that Jesus actually was alive. And so it's interesting what he says 
what he expects to be the proof of Jesus' reality, of Jesus' life. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, gross, right? Who, who came up with that? Until I put my hand into the wound, he says, I won't believe. Why is he saying it like that? Because he knows that the only way to know this is Jesus for sure is to see and touch his wounds. Because he's the only God that has wounds. He's the only Savior with scars. And he says, I won't believe that is real until I know that his wounds are there. I will know him by his wounds. Why, does he, why is that the condition of knowing? Because that is the unmistakable mark of who Jesus is and why he came. He came to be with us in our struggle and to die for us. And so Jesus shows up and Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus welcomes that challenge. Jesus meets that standard and says, you want to know me? Touch my wounds. Place your hand into my side because this is who I am. I became breakable and I broke for you. I became killable and I was killed for you. This is how you will know me. And this is how you will know that it's really me. And how does Thomas respond to that? Like anyone should, right? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is really you, Jesus. This is really you. I didn't believe it. But now that I've seen your wounds, I know that's you. You're the only Savior with wounds. The only Savior whose scars will be there in eternity. It's an amazing thought to think that this is post-resurrection. Jesus already received his glorified, restored human body, and yet he's still got the wounds for us. Eternally connected with us, not just in our nature, but in our struggle with sin. Thirdly, God is with us in his grace He's with us in His grace. What is grace? Grace is love of the undeserving. It's loving someone and being kind to them and doing good things to them knowing that they don't deserve that. That they've somehow, somehow they forfeited that love. They've rejected it. And you still love them. That's grace. It's loving them beyond the capacity to be loved. Now, there are so many vivid examples in Scripture. I was thinking, what good example of grace can I find? Which is, you know, it's a weekly question for any preacher. What example? And then then I just thought, I'm just going to go through the Scriptures and show you the many vivid examples of grace in Scripture. For example, in the very beginning, when Adam sins, Adam falls, Adam believes the lie of the devil, he rejects God's love, and then God comes looking for him. Have you noticed that? God comes looking and God says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where is Adam? He's hiding. Hiding, ashamed. Guilty. He's hiding. And God goes after him. God is looking for them. And God makes clothes for him to cover his shame. That's grace. 
How about God promising the old pagan idolater Abraham that he would make a nation out of him? That from him and his barren wife will come descendants that will bless the nations. Completely unreasonable, completely unexpected. God is making this kind of promise and fulfilling that promise for this family. How about God hearing the cry of his people in Egypt and rescuing them, rescuing them out of their affliction? How about the great story of Ruth? Ruth going to Bethlehem with her bitter ex-mother-in-law. When you put those words together, bitter ex-mother-in-law, right? I'm going with you, Ruth says. Your God will be my God. Your land will be my... I'm with you. That's grace. That's grace. Ruth not only going with her, but feeding her, finding food for her, and eventually giving her a baby to hold and smile over, healing the bitterness of Naomi. How about the story of Hosea? A very vivid, dramatic story of Hosea. The prophet who went to the market, to the slave market, to purchase back his wife. His wife who would rather be someone's sex slave than be his wife. He goes and purchases her, brings her back into his home, back into the marriage. That's grace. A vivid example of grace. How about God returning his people from the Babylonian exile back to their land, back to their city, back to their temple, gathering his people and bringing them back home? That's grace. How about the great story that Jesus told about the prodigal son and the father running toward him, waiting for him every day, waiting for the son to appear, knowing that there will be a day when his son, maybe his son will come back. And as he sees the son, he runs towards him and embraces him and kisses him, puts a robe on him, a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and prepares a feast to celebrate his son's return. That's grace. So how is Jesus God with us in his grace? How is Jesus God with us in his kindness toward the undeserving, in his steadfast covenant love? Well, has Jesus not come to find us? Though we have rejected God, has Jesus not come to prove to us that he is still committed to us? That God still loves us? Isn't that what the incarnation shows us? Is Jesus not Abraham and Sarah's offspring through whom all God's blessings flow into the world and into our lives? Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to his people. He is the yes and the amen of God's promises, of God's steadfast love. Is Jesus not the rescuer of his people from their sin? Is he not the lamb whose blood covers us and protects us from the wrath of God? Has he not come to lead us out of our slavery and into his freedom, into his kingdom? Is Jesus not our kinsman redeemer, our relative with responsibilities to his family, so loyal to his family that he buys back our inheritance and grafts us into his royal line and restores our legacy to us? Is Jesus not our bridegroom who is faithful to his bride, even though he is, she is not faithful to him? Has he not given up himself for his church, for his bride? 
Does he not promise to sanctify the church so that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish? Is it not his work? Is it not his desire? Is Jesus not the king who gathers his people from all over the exile and into his eternal kingdom? The new heaven and the new earth where he will be our light, where he will rule over us forever. Is it not him? Is it not why he came? Is it not grace? Is Jesus even now, even now is Jesus not waiting for you to return to him? Ready to embrace you? Ready to kiss you? Ready to dress you in robes of his own righteousness? To put his royal ring on your finger? And to declare a feast and celebration of your return to God? Is that not grace? Jesus is God's grace put in a person. It's His grace that we can touch, that we can hear, that we can smell, that we can see. This is His grace, is Jesus. We know God loves us because Jesus came. I can't explain a lot of other things, but I, I can't explain Jesus. I can't explain Him away, and I can't not see Him as the proof of God's love for me. God loves us because Jesus came, because he lived immersed in my brokenness, because he died to cover my sins with his blood, because he rose again to welcome us into a new life with God, and because he's coming back. Do you know why Jesus is going to come back? So he could love you forever. So he could keep loving you. That's why he's going to come back. Now that's grace. That's steadfast love. That's Emmanuel, God with us, coming to show God's grace to us. And finally, God is with us in His glory. He's with us in His glory, in our nature, in our struggle, in His grace, and in His glory. Now, this is amazing. Listen to what Jesus prayed before He went to the cross, this Emmanuel praying just about as he, was, just as he was about to be arrested and he knew this would lead to death, he knew that he would suffer for us. And this is what he prayed in John 17. The glory that you have given me, he's praying to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Jesus, I'm, I'm sharing your glory with them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. He's saying the same bond, the same love that we have, the Father and Son, I want them to have. I'm sharing that. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And then he prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is, this is an opening into Jesus' heart. Why did he come? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? So he can share his glory with us, his love with us. Jesus not only removed our guilt, he, he didn't just level it, you know, he didn't just balance it, he didn't just heal our wounds, but He shares His glory with us. 
What, what is glory? Glory is just an expression of, of God and all His goodness and all His holiness and all that He is. Glory is the brilliance of God. It's the shining forth of who He is. And Jesus says, this is what I've come to share with you. I'm not just going to restore your humanity, which would have been plenty and would have been wonderful and would have fueled many Christmas songs. But he's saying, I've come to do more than that. I've come to restore you, but I've also come to give you glory and raise you up. He took what was ours, but then he gave us what is his. I want us to understand that there is the negative and the positive to salvation. There's the negative and the positive to what Jesus has come to do. The negative is he's coming to fix something that's broken. Right? He's coming to remove our guilt. He's coming to cover up our shame. He's coming to to restore the broken relationship. Yes, all of that is true. But don't stop there because that's not all that he came to do. There's also the positive of salvation. There's the positive of what he came to do. It's what he came to give us beyond that. He rescued us from Satan's prison. That that alone would have been enough to praise him, right? But he not only rescued us from Satan's prison, he also welcomed us into God's family. (laughs) He doesn't just leave us wandering around free, right? Right? He brings us into his home, puts us at his table, and we are part of his family. Jesus paid off our debts, and it would have been wonderful if that's all he did. Just balance my account. No. He also then put our names on his own bank account. He says, I'm I'm not only just I'm going to pay off your debt, but I'm going to now give you access to this wealth where you will never owe anything to anyone ever again. This is what he did, negative and positive. Jesus cleared our guilt. He covered our shame. Yes, so we are not guilty, right? We shouldn't be ashamed. But then on top of that, he gave us his righteousness and his glory. Not only only am I innocent, I am righteous now. Not only am I not ashamed, I am glorious now. The negatives and the positives of salvation. And this this allows Peter, another apostle, to say an incredible thing in 2 Peter 1. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to live To live with God, to live the way we're supposed to live, has been given to us by God. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. He called us into His own glory, into His own excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. And this is where it gets amazing. So that through them, through the promises in Christ, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, having been freed from sin, having escaped, now you can become partakers of the divine nature. You can be like God. This is what Jesus came to do. 
Not just to make you human again, but to make you like God. Jesus became like us so that we can become like Him. I'm going to use this silly illustration, but you can kill an afternoon by going online and just looking at pictures of pets and their owners. And you will find that many of them over the years of friendship and close interaction start looking like one another. True, right? Now you go home and you look at your pet and then you look in the mirror and maybe you're in that number, I don't know. How does that happen? It happens over years of spending time together. Husbands and wives are like that too, right? That happens over time. Children eventually kind of become like their parents. This is what's happening with us right now. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus, this is what's happening with you right now. You are becoming more and more like God. The way He is, is the way you're becoming. Now, you're not there yet. And you will never be God. That's not the promise. The promise isn't that we will become little gods and be all that God is. No. But we will share. We will partake in His nature. We will be like Him. In our character, right? In our actions, in our emotions, in our plans, we will become more and more like Him because Jesus is the Emmanuel who is God with us. And He draws that glory from heaven into our lives right now and He shares it with us freely by grace. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When Jesus came, he gave up, sacrificed a lot, became part of our nature, human, entered into our struggle, lived under the law and died for our sin and rose again to give us a new life with God. He did all this, given something of himself so we can have it taking what's ours, but then giving us what is His so we can have His glory, so we can have Him, so we can be with Him forever. And the last question that is left to ask is, are you with God? If Jesus is Emmanuel, if what I said is true, that He is God with us in our nature, in our struggle, sharing, giving us His grace, sharing His glory, if this is true, then the question to us is, are we with Him? If He is with us, are we with Him? If God is with you in Christ, are you with God through Christ? Is He in your life? Is He in your struggle? Have you experienced His grace? And do you have a real hope of His glory?